I chose this film because I have sort of an interesting relationship to it. It came into my life in 2009, 2010, around mm-hmm. that time. I was living for the first time in my life away from my family in San Diego. And my, my family lives in Denver and I was living in San Diego by myself. Mm-hmm. And this sort of like started my journey of my 20s where I had lived all over in different states all alone. And I was often very lonely Mm. and I would go to the library and I would try to find movies to keep me company, movies, books, graphic novels, whatever. And this, this DVD, I had this big tube television from the thrift store and I had a little DVD player and I brought home this DVD and I popped it in and I was just so enamored with this film and in particular, I love that it's written by a woman, directed by a woman, mm-hmm. and the film itself, the story revolves around these two sisters in a way that I had not seen before. Mm-hmm. And it had, a, I think, a, a large influence on my fiction that I was writing at that time. Welcome to Open Forum. I'm Michael Denzel Smith. Rose and Nora lost their mother at a young age and never truly processed the grief. As adults, Rose is struggling to provide for a child as a single mother, while Nora struggles with, well, everything. They find purpose and healing in an unexpected place, starting their own crime scene cleaning business. This week's film is Sunshine Cleaning, and it was chosen by Kali Fajardo Anstein, author of the National Book Award finalist story collection, Sabrina and Karina. When I was watching, I was like, oh, it's not exactly the same, but there's some Sabrina and Karina elements to this story of these two women together. Yeah, definitely. So when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, God, like I was was very, uh, very into this movie. Um, So I think some of the the main comparisons. So in Sabrina and Karina, my character, Karina, has been asked to do the makeup on her dead mm. cousin, Sabrina, for the funeral. And I had to work a lot with research in morgues. I had to look at a lot of photographs I didn't want to look at. I started following a lot of accounts on Instagram that had to do with the death industries, mm-hmm. crime scene pickup, mortuary science, that kind of thing. And Sunshine Cleaning, I mean, just to give you a general idea of the plot, These two sisters, both of them are kind of FFs in their own way. Mm -hmm. Um, One is a former cheerleader, cool girl in high school that's always sort of seeking validation from outside sources. And she's got involved with this married cop that she's, I think she's been with off and on since high school. And her sister is sort of a party girl drunk who's also sort of messed up. And they're both dealing with this trauma of their mother who committed suicide when they were little girls. So... Amy Adams' character, Rose, she needs to start making more money because her son is having problems at school and she has to pay for a fancy private school. And her married cop boyfriend is like, hey, people are killing themselves and they're murdering each other and there's there's dead body stuff to clean up all over Albuquerque. So you can make good money that way. And they... uh, they, the sisters start going out and doing this. And at first they have very little education on how this works. So in my work, I think I do have a very strong death obsession and that comes mm-hmm. out in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And so to see a film that sort of handles death with dignity like this, mm-hmm. but also just normal. I mean, these are just normal women and they need to make some extra money. And they also want to make people feel better when they go out and they start cleaning up these crime scenes. So in that way, I did see a lot of overlap and also the way that they're dealing with intergenerational trauma with each other. 
Like they both have their mother who's committed suicide and they're dealing with these, these flashbacks and this PTSD mm. that shows up in different ways. And I thought, wow, this is, you can really tell that this movie was directed by a woman and written by a woman. And it just, it really shows up in the way that the characters relate to one another. And I think a lot of my work does that too. Okay, I'm sorry. I can't even ask you to do one thing without you messing it up. I mean, Jesus, Nora, it's not like I don't have enough to deal with in my own life, but now I have to take care of you on top of it, and I can't. It's too much, I can't do it. I'm not asking you to. I told you I was gonna be there. You couldn't just wait to burn the house down? Yeah, but you weren't there, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it by myself. Have your feelings about the film changed? Because you were like, oh, ooh. <laughs> you're... Do I some of the plot I felt got a little loose in areas, mm. and there's no problem with that. You know? <laughs> it's just now yeah. as a writer who's been at this for over a decade, I can see kind of threads that could be like reined in a little bit. Um, I'm thinking Emily Blunt's sort of romance with there's a they go to clean up a woman's house mm -hmm. and they find this like pouch of pictures that that actually is a plot device that happens twice in the movie they find something with pictures in it um and then she sort of tracks down this woman and she lies about following her and they end up having this this little romance together but it's all based on this lie that plot i thought sort of weaved out in a ways that mm. i wasn't i would have changed a little bit if i were writing this but <laughs> besides that i was like I love this still. I love these women. And I love these characters. And I love that it's set in Albuquerque. I did not even realize that when I first watched it. Mm. As a Western writer, I, I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll say that I did feel it. I felt there was some, or, or there was largely, or how do I want to say it? It hit a lot of sort of cliches in some ways of like, an indie film you know that that i was like okay i know i, I kind of know what's happening here i knew like you know exactly when emily blunt's character uh, nora is going to like completely fuck up the job like you know that yeah. you know, like you feel all of the things sort of coming but i did feel like you know one i was just like i have never thought about this as a job and i'm just like i've never thought about the idea that after something horrific like this happens, someone does have to clean those things up. Uh, and I think it was really, you know, it, it was a little cheesy, but it was really poignant in that when uh, Rose, Amy Adams' character, is sitting at that baby shower that she shouldn't be at, uh, is trying to prove herself and prove her status and her belonging and, and all of that. Uh, she's saying that, you know, she they go into people's lives in a moment of, like, despair, essentially, and just, like, help them a little. And I, it's really, and it obviously contrasts with earlier when she's with the, the, the married, I don't know, I guess he would not really qualify as a boyfriend. They just meet up in a cheap motel. <laughs> yeah. and, um, but, you know, that he suggests this to her and he's like, oh, do you think all I'm good for is cleaning up other people's shit? And it's like, well, the cleaning up of other people's shit is such an intimate act. Yeah, and I was I was thinking about how interesting it is that they're both women. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to go off in this little, ready for it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so women, women are the birth bringers, right? Mm. We have the children. And so I thought that was really fascinating that they're sort of cleaning up the end of life cycle. So mm. 
they're also we also have Oscar as a character. We have this very vibrant little boy. We have this life on one end, but then we also have them coming through at the end of life, and they're sweeping everything clean and they're putting it back together. And I thought, you know, that has such dignity and care and nurture. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think we would necessarily think of the death industries as feminine industries. But I found it wildly feminine while I was watching this. Mm. Just the way that they can handle uh, sort of the ugliness of what they're dealing with, but also have this big heart. There's this scene where, you know, this old man has committed suicide and Mm -hmm. Amy Adams' character, Rose, she just sits with this grandmother Mm -hmm. outside who just seems sort of disoriented. And it's just this really quiet moment in the film. And the film actually has a lot of spots like that where there's a lot of quietness mm-hmm. that there's a, there's a lot of room for the viewer to just sort of feel their emotions in that moment. I listened to an interview with the the screenplay writer named Megan Hawley. Mm-hmm. And I get I, I heard this fascinating story from her in this interview. She was working as a video editor for corporate safety. Like that's what she was doing. And uh-huh. she heard an NPR story about these two women who were doing crime scene pickup. And she was really drawn to the way that they talked about the work with such humanity. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, I got a script idea. I'm going to go write a movie Mm -hmm. about this. And then, you know, it sold and it became a movie. And I thought, wow, you know, there are real women behind these characters who are actually doing this. And I want to know where they are too. (laughs) It's not a job that my guidance counselor ever told me was out there or available. We're the cleaning crew. I wanted to give you the keys. Okay. Do you uh, need me to show you? Oh, no, 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 we can, we can find it. Would you like me to sit with you for a little while? Yes, dear, I, I believe I would. A lot of the movie, obviously, in dealing with death, uh, both in present as they're cleaning up these, these crime scenes and, and, what, and what have you, uh, and the, the main characters own as you put it ptsd uh their mother's suicide uh, there was so much dealing with grief or having put off dealing with grief in a way that did resonate with me because i'm like i still don't really know how to mourn uh, i don't think that my family ever had like healthy ways of mourning even as we were hit with so much death um but it was it was relatable, but then it it was to to you know remember essentially that mourning doesn't actually stop, right? Like it, it's such a process throughout your life, no, and no matter what point it hits your life, they were very young uh, when their their mother uh, killed herself. But uh, to to take stock of like the impact that that has on you, and to feel the grief, feel the sadness. I think these are, these are characters that are continually putting that off. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that goes along with, you know, the way that they're cleaning. You know, they're mm-hmm. like the symbolically, they're just trying to put everything back together. And you have, you know, Rose is such a depressing character to me mm. because she, first of all, I don't, I was suspecting that maybe Oscar belongs to her married lover. Like, I don't know who I the father is. <laughs> they kind of like, like, they never really hint at him, but it's like, that yeah. seems like... I mean, I liked that. I was like, mm, mm. I don't know who this baby daddy is, but um, I liked that, you know, little element. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, 
one of the criticisms I heard about this film is like, why are they dealing with this, the suicide of their mother now in their early 30s and late 20s? And I was mm. like, they're going to be dealing with that for the rest of their, the lives. Rest of their lives. And probably Oscar's going to be dealing with it too. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, he's learning about it through, through that and through his grandpa. Um, but I, I think there are also moments in this, this film that are, they really bring up the idea of suicide in this way that mm. helps helps the viewer confront it and we got to confront it from the very beginning right yeah (laughs) well yeah yeah that's i also found that fascinating that the very beginning scene is a man going Mm. in and committing suicide and it starts in this very masculine space like Mm. a sporting goods store and then all of a sudden we're like we're out of that masculine space and we're with the women Mm -hmm. i thought that was a really interesting choice that they took um but i one of my favorite parts of the film is when they visit Nora takes her, her new friend that she stalked <laughs> to, to this train, to this bridge. Mm-hmm. And that is actually a bridge that shows up in Breaking Bad, too. It's really? Like a, yeah, it's like a double. They've used that scene or that set before. Oh, wow. Um, she takes her, her friend over there, and she's asking how her mother died. And Nora says it was a do-it-yourself job, mm-hmm. kind of like a do-it-yourself job. And, you know, she's trying to be nonchalant about that. And then she just has this overwhelming moment of grief screaming out into the night when the train comes by mm-hmm. and that that image to me just it was such a moment of healing that mm-hmm. it felt pretty good i mean i felt I was like okay nora's moving in the right direction but she's still such a little mess slow down gross i'm not going fast you are going fast no i'm not how can i be going faster you i'm walking backward i have the hard job you're in control of it you're the one pulling it i'm pulling it if i, I have not got a good grip on it rose here slow down <laughs> I felt for her because it, it was just like it she wanted to like I felt like she really wanted to be better she wanted these things but it's just that again you you're you're in this situation where her mother killed herself when uh Nora was very young and then suddenly you know this father who I think gets in this position that he feels so terrible about what has happened to these little girls that his character essentially becomes this person who wants to promise them everything to like make it up to them and he's like always on these get rich quick schemes and always trying to hustle in this way that's like very strange i mean just my man no one is buying a bunch of shrimp out of the trunk of your car it's just not happening but it's like he he feels indebted to them in some way like he he was at fault and now he's trying to make it up to them. And so he feels like he's sort of absent in, in like an emotional capacity, really, there. And then you, you have her older sister who does want to fill that role and wants to be there and wants to do all of those motherly things because she's just like, someone has to do all of this for you. Someone has to take care of you. But she's off in another place, sort of striving for this thing and like wanting to be something that like, you know, that were it's aspirational. Like she pulls up to the baby shower and she's like all these Porsches and things. And and it's just like that thing. But it's always pulling her away. So it's like Nora's kind of by herself. She just wants to feel loved and wants to be whole. And so I felt for her character in a way that I wasn't feeling for Rose in the, quite the same yeah, way, yeah. right? Like, like I just didn't get that same connection to her. Amy Adams is great, but I just didn't yeah. like. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't identify with Rose just because I was not a cheerleader. I was mm. a cool. I didn't date quarterbacks and cops. Right. And like, she, <laughs> she's, like, she's very much not, uh, you know, my kind of, I don't know, my kind of character. But yeah. she, yeah, she is hard. And then when when Nora messes up and, spoiler, burns down that house that they're working mm. on, um, she's so mean to her. And... I just, you know, I understood. I knew she was going to be mean to her. That's what her character sure. is. But it still hurt. I was like, please don't do this to her. Like, she's trying to save a kitten. Like, she's yeah. just out there cleaning by herself where you're going to this stupid baby shower and licking up chocolate cake poop <laughs> out of diapers. Like, that scene is so surreal scary. But it's also very real. That, <laughs> like, and, you know, I was sitting there and I was just like, I know this is real, and I just also hope that it's not that like this is that this is fun for some people to like play this game. I don't know. It's it's something I can't relate to. So I, again, like, and I can't I can relate to Rose's like feeling of wanting to be a part of that, or to it's not even that she really wants to be a part of it. She wants to prove herself to those people, yeah. and I'm just like, why? What are these people have like? And I. I get it on some level, but then there's just like that part of me that's just like, fuck those people. Yeah. I think, I think that's why the film does a really interesting job of tracking Rose throughout her process Mm -hmm. because she sort of, she gains a lot of self-esteem from having this business. Yes. And that's really wonderful to see because it's, you know, you can apply this to any kind of business, any kind of person starting out and, I remember, you know, a lot of people I knew growing up cleaned houses and it's just Mm -hmm. such hard, hard work. And she's finally found a way that she's got a niche in this. And like, she's going to, she doesn't want to be considered a hack when they go into Winston's really cool shop Mm -hmm. and they buy all like the, the, I don't know, professional grade cleaning supplies. And somebody else comes in and says, Hey, these, these women are poaching jobs Mm -hmm. for people. So I do love that her work is sort of tied to her, her affirmation and her self-esteem and as she's going through that Mm -hmm. it does seem like she's going to have the strength to get out of this toxic relationship but yeah she has a difficult character and all the scenes where you're alone with her i was just like "Uh, can we get to can we get to Nora the bad girl because i like her clothes better and i like her makeup better (laughs) there's not a lot that i am good at i'm good at getting guys to want me not date me or marry me but want me i am good at that and cheering. I was really good at cheering. Tying into something you were saying earlier, uh, that scene in the store when they're trying to get some professional grade cleaning stuff and this man walks in who has been doing this work and he's like, oh, you've heard, you heard about these amateurs that have been poaching jobs. And like, I, I think about that in terms of what you were saying, like, uh, you know, this is, this is now a man that is coming in and doing this work, right? And it seems like that's generally who's been doing this kind of work. And before, you know, Rose gets into this, she's doing cleaning work, but it's a different kind of clean. So just the, the idea of these different kinds of cleaning work being coded feminine versus masculine, because like, it's, it, I guess it's, it's almost as if to say like, Oh, because you need to know a lot of things about biohazard waste yeah. management. Now it's masculine because it involves intellect, right? And as if there's no intellect in the other form of cleaning. Yeah, and I, 
Well, I'm watching it and watching, you know, watching them clean and they're wearing their gloves. In the beginning, they have nothing to protect them. And now we know we're like, go get a mask. Like, you, need to, like, you can't breathe in this stuff. But it reminded me, you know, one of the first job jobbies that I had in my family was cleaning all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I come from this family of seven kids and six of us are girls. And like, all we do is clean. Like you come home from school and you clean for two hours every day to make sure the house doesn't look like a mess. Mm-hmm. So to see them professionalizing that role and earning money that way, they are, I mean, I think that they're broke. I don't know. What, I don't know what they would consider themselves, but the film does bring a lot of attention to working class women in a way that I, you don't get to see very often. You know, a friend of mine watched it and they said that it gives them anxiety to watch movies about regular people because mm. we're so close to them. Yeah. Like we can, yeah. we can, or we could end up having to pick up decomp if we we tried our hardest. But another thing that made me think about with class and work is that when a parent dies prematurely or commits suicide, that's an earner that's taken out of the family. Mm -hmm. And so they're never going to be able to get out of that because there's an entire life that's gone that can't earn money for that family anymore. And I think Mm -hmm. that goes back to the grandpa characters and his get rich, you know, schemes and these, these dirty shrimp and whatever else he's doing. But it's like, no man, like there was not two earners in this family right. and they already be broke. Right. You know, you're, you're absolutely right in that. Like the, the, the very real depiction of just like folks being desperate as, as working people and like the promise of more and what that involves. And like, you know, it's, it's hard for them to get that business off the ground. And it's hard, like, they they do have to poach these jobs and they do have to do them untrained and, like, and not knowing all of the rules and regulations and undercutting the prices because how else are they going to break in? This Like, there, there's so many other barriers to, to getting into that. Um, and I thought about that and I was like, oh, yeah, this is, like, this, sorry, this reminds me of my dad in a lot of ways, who was just always wanting his own business, always wanting to be his own boss. But that comes from that, that feeling of being out of control for yourself, like, like never having that stability and control of your own life when you're just earning paycheck to paycheck and that check is minuscule. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, the need for money is driving this film. Mm-hmm. It's driving this plot and you know some could say like oh you know they're just doing this because they love to feel good and they love to help people out and it's like no they're doing this because both of them cannot keep jobs they're not highly skilled in anything uh nora gets fired from the chinese restaurant she's just awful sleeps all the time like they this is finally giving them a way to make a living mm-hmm. and at the end when um grandpa character i think he sells the house to give them more money to help pay for the mm-hmm. house they burned down or something that it gets started again that's like it's such a good bringing together of you know all the themes and all the resources and it's like let's try to help them go forward yeah and i do wonder it's like one of those films i'm like well where is rose in 10 years and where is nora in 10 years how's oscar like i want to know what that kid looks like now <laughs> yeah there's some unresolved things with oscar's character <laughs> like yeah i do like that he's a little bit like weirdo-ish and, he's like, weird yeah but also i feel like they're it's another one of those things that they're just kind of brushing over i mean weird is one thing licking a bunch of stuff at school and licking your teacher that's something that maybe you need to have a discussion about i know i thought the licking the teacher's leg thing i was shocked when 
when she said that because I was like, oh, I don't remember that part. I guess it goes back to Nora telling him that lobster man story and yeah. licking stuff. But I was like, I don't really. You gotta, you gotta do more work when little boys cannot be licking women's legs. We, 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 no we one should, likes it. We should do better than that. Yeah, <laughs> we should do better. Jeremy told me I was a bastard. So what's a bastard? It just means your mom wasn't married when she had you. You know, in a couple of years, you're gonna find it's it's a free pass to cool, right? Probably start a band called Bastard Son. <laughs> Use it to impress the chicks. I want to talk about Winston. This is a sort of Please. guide character they have. He's really fascinating to me, and he he comes in at a good time, and I think he's used just you know just enough. Mm. But so so when the women start going to this um, high grade cleaning supply shop, I don't even know what it's called. Um, there's this the shopkeeper is this man named Winston, and he's got these like model airplanes that he builds in the yeah. back. And, he only has one arm and Oscar asks about her right away and we don't ever find out what happened, but he's just such a gentle, kind man. And it's such a direct opposite of uh, Rose's married boyfriend. Yeah. We have this man that wants to take care of her and help her out, even when she starts kind of using him. And I just, I thought he was a really interesting character as just sort of this symbolic archetypal guide and I'm, I'm so thankful that they had him because if they didn't have him i was like i don't know what these women are going to do they're going to get sick cleaning up this stuff yeah no he, it's good that he's there i did want him to get a little more story more character build but i i appreciate like the tightness of the film and focusing in on rose and nora like i get why he didn't but i wanted a little more i want a little of winston's story i want to know like is he just being nice? Is he into her? Like, what's 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 actually beneath these things? Give him some emotion. Give him some interior. Something. To... Yeah, and I was like, I was wondering, like, is she into him a little bit, or is she just like straight up using him? And that made me question how much I could like Rose even more. Yeah, because it was like, come on, like this guy's being nice to you, but he's not cool and popular like your cheerleader <laughs> friends in their their Porsche house or whatever they have. Yeah, and I think that that's it's exactly saying that it's it's. I think he's more a device to chart her evolution, right? To be like, yes, right now she's sleeping with her married cop, uh, you know, and going through all of that, and she still aspires to be alongside these women who live in these huge houses and hire cleaners, and not that are cleaners. Um, but the more that you go along, it's like she does use him. She uses his kindness, recognizes it. And then she's really bare and emotional with him. Like I, she tells him, like, I know how to get men to want me, but I don't know how to get them to date me or, or marry me or whatever. And she's very vulnerable with him. And I think that that's just he's just there for her emotional growth to be charted and to be like. Uh, depicted for us as as though like he's just there and he's just a nice guy and it's like okay but like how does Winston feel about this and how does yeah. he, like I you know again I appreciate the tightness and the, like like you're saying the very the focus on these women and their stories because like you know women on film getting their own stories and that you know interrogate their interior few and far between but like like i appreciate that but the character of winston i appreciate his presence wanted a little more from him 
Yeah, I think that's that's similar to how I feel about Nora's friend that she finds, mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. dead woman's daughter. So they kind of both are these these sideline characters that are used to sort of prop up uh, personality traits of Nora and Rose. And that, I mean, I guess it's sort of a study in like, how could you make them a little bit more full so they don't feel like they're being used as devices? Because, you know, one thing we don't like is being used (laughs) as human beings and as characters. So yeah, I think if they could sort of, there, there could have been a way I think maybe to up that a little bit. Um, when they all go to the like Chuck E. Cheese type place at the yeah. end, and Winston's there, I was like, "Why? <laughs> like, like, why would Winston go hang out with you guys? You like broke his airplane, or Oscar broke his little airplane in the shop? Right? Like, They've done nothing for Winston. Like he's he's supplied them with everything, all the knowledge that they need to know. He's done babysitting. They've done nothing for Winston. Like, but he's like, yeah, sure. But I get that sense also that kind of like Winston's just lonely, right? Like he's like the only time we see him is there and like doing his model airplanes. And so like he's looking for connection too. Yeah, I guess, and you know, that loneliness, I think a lot of the characters in the film are deeply lonely. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's sort of a sub, you know, sub theme that's going on. And it reminds me of when Rose goes to the motel to meet up with her married cop boyfriend and he doesn't show up and she's mm-hmm. just absolutely alone. Mm-hmm. And then we're with her and she just sort of starts laughing at herself about, you know, what a loser she is essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's the only time we get to see her sort of break out of this, this concocted personality she's given herself yeah. where she's doing those daily affirmations. I, I don't know what she says to her. She's like, you're amazing. You're yeah. But when she's when she's deeply lonely, when she's all alone, that's when we actually get to see her. And I think all of them are just they're dealing with this loneliness and trying to find ways that they can connect with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my favorite lines is when um, Grandpa Alan Arkin tells Rose, "Like go make up with your sister for the end." And he's just like, "Go in there and make up with her because she's your sister." Yeah. And I can't tell you with all my sisters how many times <laughs> I've been told, "Go make up with your sister." Like. This is, you, you have to. She's yeah. your sister. That's just how it goes. Kali, what's one lasting image that sticks with you from Sunshine Planning? You know, I already gave it away a little bit, but mm. I'm going to explain it a little bit more. <laughs> um, I think there's something very magical, magical about the train, the train track scene when they mm. walk out to this bridge in the desert. Um, I, one of my short stories, all her names is set in a train yard and I'm very, I, I'm very into train subculture. There's, <laughs> there's this like term that not every train person likes called foamer. And these are, these are people that are foaming at the mouth. They love trains so much, mm. but I, uh, as a person who loves trains and old tiny trains, seeing those tracks running through the desert like that and to bring that up with the plot and the themes of loss and loneliness and just to have that gorgeous image of the train rolling over them and Emily Blunt, our Nora's character, her hair blowing wild with this, you know, these lights are going all around and then it pivots into the memory of the mother's suicide. Mm-hmm. And that's how we're shown the suicide is actually through Nora's mm-hmm. consciousness. And I, that part of the film to me sort of serves as, as the center, yeah. you know, everything else around it's balanced on either side of that. But up until you see that 
bathtub scene with the mother in there, um, you don't really know, you know, the weight of the pain that these little girls felt. So I just thought that was a beautiful image and beautifully done, that entire scene out there at night in the desert. Hallie, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. I really enjoyed watching this and I it was fun to watch a watch a movie, an old movie that I love with a friend. So thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Open Forum, a podcast from Lit Hub Radio, produced by Justin Alvarez and hosted by me, Michael Denzel Smith. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe to Open Forum wherever you get your podcasts, and or sign up for the Lit Hub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episodes. Next week, the cowboy myth comes up against cowboy mortality. 